This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today we answer your questions. You know, remember, if you have a question, just email us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And if you have a question, say, for one of the people that have been on the show or somebody who's written in, send it to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And what we'll do is we'll forward that along to that person uh, if it's a personal type of thing. Otherwise, if it's a general question and we you want us to read it here on the show so it'll help other people, that'd be terrific. And also another thing, if you want to be a guest on the show, don't forget we have a video now at the bottom of each uh, podcast episode, how to be a guest. I should actually put it as a link. I just thought about that. Uh, how to be a guest on uh, Aviation Careers podcast. We want to hear your story, especially if it's something that's going to be inspirational for other listeners or something they can learn from. It'd be terrific. Also, if you have a suggestion, say you have somebody that you think will be a, a great guest, send them that video and say, hey, would you want to be a guest on this show? I think that would be great. I really appreciate it. Before I get begin with the questions, uh, let me just go over a couple announcements and news items. First of all, uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which uh, is uh, still a holiday in the future, we're giving 10% off from now for all our products, including our coaching, the scholarships guide, and everything. So that's 10% off. The scholarships guide is one-year access to all the scholarships. What's the value of the scholarships guide? Well, we have a couple little uh, courses on there and, and chapters on how to use the guide, but most importantly, we keep it updated. The other thing is the scholarships guide is something that we actually verify, and we don't put all the scholarships in there. So some people say there's other ones out there. We have to be able to verify it and validate that scholarship. If you have a scholarship that you know about it and you want it to be in the guide, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And uh, you can also find all those things at the courses page. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Facebook and sign up for the email list because we're going to start doing more of these uh, promotional type of things because there's a, there's, Every month there's some kind of celebration or, or some holiday, etc. So make sure you tell us a little bit about that. But anyway, let's move on to our emails here. So first of all, our first email comes in, says, Hey, I wanted to uh, thank you for your podcast. After listening to the podcast with Tim Lake, it furthered my desire to keep at my pursuit of being a commercial pilot. I, too, am an administrator and recently started flight lessons after being obsessed with planes my entire life. Listening to your stories and ones like Tim's encouraged me to pursue this dream despite job and retirement stability that I currently already have. I have many questions about the career, and you always seem to find ways to address them. Thank you for all that you do. Well, thanks so much. And, you know, we'd love to have Tim Lake on. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, who's that? Who's that over there in the studio? Tim! Hey, hey Carl. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. This is cool that you stopped by. Uh, I thought I heard my name as I was walking by. <laughs> well, you know, Tim, you've been here before in Lakeland uh, and now in our new studio. And it's, gosh, it's great to have you back again, Tim. And uh, we're, we're really excited to have you. And, and this is apropos that we're reading this uh, email from this listener about your journey through the airlines. And, and for the listeners uh, that don't remember, uh, you were a high school administrator. 
administrator, uh, like, a, and you also went on to become a flight instructor. You bought an airplane. Make sure you go back and listen to those. But also, you were hired with a regional airline. That was the last time we talked to you. So, gosh, now that you're here, Tim, maybe you can hang out and uh, answer some of these questions. But guy, tell us a little bit about where you are, what's happening in your career right now. Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Of course, I always love being a part of this because, uh, you know, Carl, your podcast had a lot to do with inspiring me to make this journey in the first place. Um, but, uh, yeah, always excited to share my story and hope that uh, it inspires other people. And I'd love to see that you have mail coming in like this that uh, that says that, that I've helped with that a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I've uh, I spent 21 years in the field of public education and you know, I honestly thought I was way too old to uh, to be an airline pilot at that point. I was 46 years old and, uh, you know, didn't know anything about any pilot shortages or any of the stories that I know now. And so, um, you know, it was the furthest thing from my mind. But then the more I did flight training uh, just as a hobby, the more I started realizing, hey, I could really make a go of this if I wanted to. And so um, I finally pulled the trigger and became a full-time CFI and did as much as I could to support my family during the, the time when I was making less money. And, and now I've been hired by a regional airline and uh, going through the training process and just couldn't be more excited. Well, you know, since you're, we're talking about the training process, maybe you could give a little bit of advice to some people. Uh, you've been through, uh, where are you, by the way, in the training process? Well, I've started the in-doc process, and then it was cut short just a little bit. We've got a uh, the the regional that I work for has a little bit of a backlog going on in the training department, and you know a lot of people are saying, "Whoa, hold on a minute!" You know, do they have enough pilots now? Is the shortage over? Of course, that's absolutely not true. Um, the the problem is they just can't train people fast enough to get them in there, and so they've told me to uh, go home, enjoy my paid vacation for a few months, and and uh, I'll be going back probably in April, I think it is, to finish my training. So let me get this straight. You're actually getting paid while you're at home, right? Uh, that's correct. I'm getting paid uh, the, uh, you know, exactly what I would be getting paid had there not been a training delay. So full pay, full benefits. I have flight benefits. Um, you can bet that I've already scheduled three trips with flight benefits. I'm going to be going all over the place while I have this. Uh, I'm just calling it a paid vacation. Of course, uh, I am going to be studying quite a bit during that time so that I can uh, – hopefully ease the fire hose effect come April. You know, we're starting to hear more and more about these situations where people are actually not or not uh, finishing training right away. Usually they go uh, right from the top to the bottom with training. Now they actually take a pause and they may even pay for some of your multi-engine training, et cetera. So I would, I would, you know, from the people that I talk to, I give them the advice to try to keep current and, and try to keep competitive while you're out there uh, just in case something happens. But also, you want to keep current because you're going to be evaluated on your flying skill, skills. So what are you doing to make sure that you keep yourself competitive both in the marketplace but also so that you're competitive in the training environment? Well, uh, you have, absolutely have to do something to uh, mainly just continuing to fly. And so I thought, well, you know, I've got this this time off, and it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I'll tell you, you know, I went about a month, I'd say, without flying a Cessna 172, and then when I got back in there, it felt, you know, just a little bit foreign to me. I, I have to admit, I felt just slightly uncomfortable with it. Um, not uncomfortable. I mean, I still knew what I was doing, and I was safe, but. Uh, but I was really surprised to see um, how much di how much different I felt after just one month. And so, 
I'm definitely getting myself on the books to fly regularly. I'm going to fly a couple times a week just to maintain those skills. And then, of course, uh, you know, when it comes to becoming an airline pilot, your IFR proficiency is is very, very important. Um, I've heard on your show recruiters say that uh, that's one that's probably the main deficiency that people show up with at airlines is IFR skills, and those can go very quickly as well. So. Uh, if I, you know, if I wake up and there's an overcast day and it's a good a good chance to practice some approaches and just go and fly an IMC, I'll do it any chance I get, uh, and and of course maintain the currency as well. That's something I'm glad you brought up because uh, one of the things, and it's, it's the same going back many many years, is when we have like these shortages, etc. Usually it's the IFR skills that go right away. So I'm glad you're doing that. Well, Tim, I'm, I'm glad you've updated us. Hopefully you'll come back and give us another update uh, when you do finish the training, maybe give some advice after you've been through the whole training process. Well, absolutely. Anytime uh, I get an invitation, I'm going to take it, Carl. Awesome. Hey, can you stay around and maybe answer some questions? Certainly. I'd love to. Cool, cool. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's start uh, reading some of these uh, emails from people, and and uh, we'd love to have you interject with uh, your background and uh, also with some of the experiences you've had. So let's get started. Uh, one, The first one is just a comment. It says, uh, greetings, Carl, from the land down under. I am an Adelaide, Australian-based cabin manager with a major airline. I fly recreationally with my recreational license a couple of times a month in the Jabiru in, in the country of South Australia. Uh, I love your work and, and contribution to aviation community. You're a god. Thank you. Your efforts are appreciated and recognized. Well, I won't say I'm a god, but I do appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the, the comments and also the fact that uh, you're down in Australia listening to this because, as some people know, some of the visa processes now are uh, allowing some of the Australian pilots to come here to the U.S. And, and start doing some training and actually working for the airlines. So I really appreciate that feedback, and I'm glad that it's helping you. Moving on to the next one, uh, says, uh, I'm concerned about my health down the road. Can you give us feedback on medical losses and what we can do to prevent that. I'm 30 years old and want a healthy career. I'm sure a lot of younger slash older listeners think the same since we're always thought to think ahead in aviation. In your words, what are the top 10 ways to lose your medical or the most common ways to lose your medical? You know, if you could talk about something along those lines, thanks so much for what you do. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, a couple things about the medical is uh, keep yourself in shape, uh, Try to, try to keep your weight low. Try not to get diabetes. That's a big uh, thing that happens as people get older. And also blood pressure issues come about. There are certain things you can't prevent because uh, you know, they're hereditary. Uh, but one of the things I can say is that as you do get older, that's when things happen. And I've been through some medical issues. Many people have. One thing you can do and something to think about, you know, not just ways to lose your medical, but thinking ahead, uh, having some type of insurance, disability insurance, uh, such as short-term and long-term disability. I know I pay for short-term disability on my own so that I can have some extra pay if I do uh, have an issue. Many times you go on short-term disability and not long-term disability, but short-term disability is for like six months, and then the long-term kicks in. So I really highly recommend you're looking towards an airline that has short-term or the availability of that or try to purchase some on your own. I really, you know, as far as 
as the planning process. If you have a family, you need to do that. You really, really do. One of the reasons you a lot of people want to go towards the majors or the larger regionals is because they offer those insurances. Now, going back to your actual question, some of the, the reasons for losing your medical, a lot of times you're, you're seeing people with diabetes. You're seeing people with uh, medicines that they're taking that they didn't realize uh, wouldn't allow them to continue their medical. So something that's really important uh, and ways that you can prevent that from happening is make sure you work with an aviation medical examiner that understands the medications and understands how to prevent you from actually losing uh, your medical. And it is tough. I mean, it's it's scary. Believe me. Been through the process. The, the hardest thing, and I know everybody says this, the hardest thing about being on medical is is not knowing. You know, it's the unknown. It's the gosh, am I going to never fly again in my life? That type of thing. And, and you know, I've been there. I know other people have. Uh, and that's uh, one of the things you got to realize is that you're not defined by just your, your job alone. This is your passion, and it's a wonderful job, and it it's really lucrative. But remember, it, this is just one part of your life. It's your job, and it's it's a big part of it. But you're you're defined by more than just that. And uh, if you do have to take a break and move on to some other things, there there's a lot you can do. And that's kind of going to lead into those things like, you know, what do we do to keep ourselves competitive while we're on, uh, say, a medical leave or we can't fly right now? And uh, one of the things I always tell people to do is read, be engaged, uh, get involved in aviation somehow, but also network while you're out, especially while you're out on medical. Because, you know, I've seen them go for years. Um, even cancer, you know, a lot of times it takes a long time to get back from from that medical leave. Uh, I don't know, Tim, have you actually had any experience or know folks that have had experiences with uh, some of these uh, leaves of absence or not been able to fly? Uh, yeah, Carl, I actually have a good friend of mine who, uh, unfortunately, uh, in his 50s, lost his medical uh, due to diabetes, like you said. And uh, he was uh, on the, uh, I guess, the flight staff, you'd call it, for Taylor Swift here in Nashville. And, uh, and so... You know, it was a pretty good job, from what I understand, and uh, uh, he was uh, he was doing that full time, and then suddenly was not able to anymore. But uh, like you said, I think he was able to network and find his way into a really nice uh, simulator teaching job, and so um, he's still flying, so to speak, and teaching and, and having a great time and, and making a great living, from what I understand. Yeah, and that's uh, that's really important is uh, having something as your backup plan, and uh, I think that's really, really important. As far as other things that are uh, people lose their medical for, they're all out there. A lot of times getting older, it just happens. And uh, heart issues is another one. Uh, sometimes there's uh, you lose your medical not because <laughs> there's anything wrong with you, but because maybe they uh, did something wrong during your medical process. A good example is possibly putting the probes on improperly, and it flagging your EKG as you get older, you have to do the EKG, and then they kind of ding you there. I've heard those happening a lot, and it does happen. So, uh, but now, Carl, your listener did ask, uh, you know, if you can, what we can do to prevent that, and you touched on that. But I, I can tell you, there was a def definitely a day when I just came to the realization, all of a sudden, that uh, you know, now I'm just one medical exam away from my entire career being gone. So to speak, you know. But like you said, there are other ways to get into uh, different avenues. But uh, you know, that was a that was a defining moment for me. And so I made some decisions then, especially being 
the age that I am. I'm no spring chicken. And so um, I've got a, a good friend of mine that's a personal trainer. And so we got to work and I, I started uh, a workout regimen. And the greatest thing about that is he was interested in learning how to fly. And so we, we trade services and it works out great. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm working out all the time. I'm feeling great. And, you know, keeping your job is not the only great reason for working out. You know, you have a longer, healthier life that way, too. Yeah, I like what you said there, though. It's it's something that you need to do. You need to go out there and continually make yourself better physically. Uh, I know I've lost like 20 pounds when I had that whole the health scare medically, and uh, and I think what you did is a perfect thing. Sometimes you need a coach. You need someone that helps you out with your, your physical being. And, you know, the other things that you, you do see a lot of times is people getting injured. Uh, I didn't mention that, but if you're in a high-risk type of uh, environment, say you're somebody that likes to go do some, you know, off-roading, you know, either motorcycles, et cetera, sometimes you get injured. And that takes people out. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a friend that was uh, doing something to a light bulb outside, you know, these big light bulbs on a big pole, and uh, he fell off the ladder, and he was out for like eight months and had to go through a lot of surgeries because he fell and broke something. So uh, other things you can do is be careful when you're out there. Maybe wear a helmet when you're riding your bicycle or whatever, but uh, but don't forget you need to go out there and enjoy life too. So there, there's that difference there. Preventing yourself from uh, losing your medical. Another thing that I, I usually tell people is look at your family, what your family's problems are, maybe become yours as you get older. A lot of times it manifests yourself as you get older. I do know people have uh, developed diabetes at a younger age, and uh, it just happens. So uh, try to eat right. Like you said, Tim, it was a great idea. So uh, not there's a whole bunch of ways to lose your medical. Those are the big ones. Those are the ones that we hear at the union. Uh, heart issues, diabetes, and also injuries are a big one. Uh, and not so much, well, there is another one. Um, and this is uh, something that is preventable uh, and can be treated, and a lot of times that's uh, drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, you can actually lose your medical for that, and there's many different things you can do to reach out there. Uh, so that that's a big part of your medical is making sure you continue to keep it and keep away from the drugs and alcohol. But good question. Uh, I'm sure there's other people who've lost their medicals in other ways, but those are the big ones that we hear about at the union. Uh, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, it uh, comes in says, Hi, I'm looking for advice on my next big decision that I want to make. I'm 32 years old from New York City and recently got my CFI here and like to get more involved in aviation. Like a full-time job, but a CFI salary and living costs in New York does not match, especially in the winter. I get it. I was in New York flying. However, I received an offer in Florida. Salary is still low but they're going to give me a bonus after 15 months to help me pay my rent here. I'd like to know your thoughts about quitting my current job and taking the next big step. Love your podcast and help me a lot to keep my aviation dream alive. Well, thanks for that comment. Uh, as far as quitting your job, it's, it's a tough decision. That's something that, you know, obviously I can't say right here. I don't know anything about your background, but it's uh, one of the reasons we do the coaching services is we really drill down on and get some real granularity on your background. And as far as making that jump, if you know you're ready and you're ready to make that jump, yeah, I would go for it. As far as living expenses, there is nowhere where uh, you're going to make a ton of money as a flight instructor. So it is nice to go to those areas that have more flying 
and also have a cheaper quality of life, uh, et cetera. As a matter of fact, not to, to blow uh, the horn of Lakeland, Florida, it was just in, I think it was Fox Business or something, had a uh, article on the places where millennials are moving, and Lakeland, Florida actually was number one. That's actually where I'm, I'm living. And a big part of that is the fact that they can live uh, so inexpensively. I know uh, places like in Tennessee, Tim, there, there's a lot of areas there that are less expensive. You may not get in as much uh, flight time, but kind of curious, um, you know, what you did that, Tim, you actually jumped out. So, uh, you know, what were some of your thoughts when you were actually uh, looking at making that jump? Well, I'm not sure I'm the right one to ask about that because I just dove in. <laughs> but no, that's not true. <laughs> I, I did uh, I did quite a bit of number crunching, and uh, and you know, New York City is just an expensive place. I mean, that's uh, uh, I, I think definitely a move from there is going to be beneficial, no matter which direction you go as far as cost of living. As long as you don't go to California, I guess. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Tennessee, Florida, uh, you know, going where the flying is is happening is a great idea. And of course, the I, I think the most popular state for flight training is Florida, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but I just happen to be in an area just five minutes down the road from me, where I live, is uh, is a very busy airport. It's got the number one and number two flight schools in the state of Tennessee. Um, and I, you know, I worked for one of those, and I. I looked at their numbers. I was uh, I was in cozy with the owner. Got to look at a bunch of information that not everybody gets to look at, and uh, you know I, I I did the math and I figured well if I if I fly this much I'll be able to support my family and I'll be able to get 1,500 hours by this time and and it all worked out for me. And so uh, once I you know I'm a spreadsheet guy. Once I got the spreadsheet going and it uh, it was not comfortable. I wouldn't say that uh, uh, that it was. Uh, now I wasn't living large or anything. That's for sure. We had to make some adjustments to our lifestyle, but uh, I was able to make it work, and it worked out exactly to plan. So if you plan accordingly, and and you know exactly what you're dealing with as far as information, how much you can fly, uh, how many students can you pick up, or it, you know uh, whatever it is that you're doing, then uh, you know if it looks good, go for it. So there was another thing that he had mentioned, and that's the uh, at bonus after 15 months. One thing that I always tell people is make sure you look into what those things are. You know, what are the stipulations on that bonus structure? Uh, and and see if you actually will be responsible for some of that payment later on. So that's something else to look in there. So so this is uh, one of those general questions, you know, to make that jump. I would say, yes, Florida is a great place to actually teach because of the fact that you can teach all year round. With that said, you know, I'm looking out the window. This is uh, winter time. And Central Florida, we do have fog, and uh, I just was with a student this morning and had to cancel his maneuvers because it was uh, the weather was too low. So that it does happen here, too. So don't think, yes, you can fly every day. It's just that not every time of the day. In other words, if there's thunderstorms that roll in in the afternoon in the summer, then you're not going to go flying until after they're done. But you pretty much can fly 365 days a year. Here, Arizona is another one. Uh, so that, as far as uh, advice on that, general advice, yeah, Florida is a great place. I would definitely get out of the New York area if you can. Uh, but if you have a good living situation, uh, then yes, stay where you are. If not, I would take the jump. But there's a lot. I can't say that directly. You know, I'd have to know a lot more about your situation. Obviously, we can do that through coaching. Anyway, let's look at the uh, the next uh, question here. Uh, feedback from a listener. Uh, let's see. It says, I am currently a 24-year-old student pilot in Portland, Oregon, studying for my private pilot checkride. 
My goal has always been to fly for the airlines. When I began flying, I knew that becoming a CFI was a tried-and-true way of building the 1,500 hours required to be hired by the airlines. However, recently, I have been interested in other opportunities instead of flight instructing, such as flying for a Part 135 commuter airline or flying smaller cargo operations. Oftentimes, first officer positions with these companies require between 250 and 500 hours total time. As an inspiring airline pilot, would working for a commuter airline or any other commercial type of operation be better than flying a Cessna 152 around with students to build time? Another turnoff to the CFI route for me is the money required to get your CFI, I, and MEI. Any advice regarding this topic will be helpful. Greatly enjoy listening to your podcast and look forward to each and every new episode. Uh, as far as flying around in a 152, uh, one of the things I will say is if you're getting a lot of instrument time and you're getting a lot of students that are instrument students, you're going to use those skills when you do get to the airlines and your oral exams are all going to be about the instrument check ride. So uh, much of it's going to be about the instrument check ride. So I would say look at that as, as an opportunity. It actually can help you being an instrument instructor uh, because you will be prepared for that and you'll be prepared when you're actually in the simulator and know what to do, when to do it, that type of thing. As far as the 135 commuters and some of the cargo operations, I'd say yes, it's good only if you can find out. And I suggest people talking to one of the pilots there, you know, ask to talk to a pilot and see how much hour, how many hours they're actually getting. Because right now, the regional airlines, you know, in general, usually the regional airlines are just you're just going to fly more, period. You're going to fly a lot more in a month. But uh, I know, Tim, you actually kind of, I think, uh, were looking at that at one point, but decided you went more the instructional route and wound up building a lot of time. And through that time, do you feel you were prepared to go to the airlines? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not going to take away from the fact that, uh, you know, if you're flying, especially a, a, a jet for one of these 135, air, uh, 135 operations, or, you know, a lot of people are interested in doing that instead of teaching. I think most of that in the, in the experience I've had anyway is about uh, maybe being uncomfortable teaching because uh, that's, you know, if you've never done that before, that can be uh, somewhat intimidating. Uh, you know, I, it, it wasn't a problem for me because I've been a teacher my whole adult life pretty much. So uh, I just stepped right into that. But um, I can tell you this, that it, just like you said, knowing how many hours you're going to fly in one of those operations uh, is very iffy. Um, I have two prior instructors that uh, went and did that in lieu of in flight instructing. And uh, one of them I actually beat to the airlines uh, and I was his student. And so it, it's just a matter of hours, like you said. How many hours can you get? Um, but, you know, the, the thing that keeps ringing true with me, and I've seen it and I, I've experienced it myself, is that the best way to learn something is to teach it. And so um, I can't tell you how much of a better pilot I am as a result of being a CFI. Um, it just uh, right away, I mean, right off the bat, you'll start becoming a much, much better pilot when you're teaching somebody else how to do it. And uh, that rings true also for being a CFII. Um, if you have that in your back pocket, then you can maintain those instrument skills that are so valuable to airlines once you get there. And, uh, you know, you can also fly more hours because like you were saying a minute ago, if the if the weather's not cooperating with a uh, you know, a, a private flight, then get yourself some instrument students up there, get them into some actual conditions. And it's good for them. It's good for you. It's good for everybody. 
And you also have the opportunity to get, jump in a simulator at some of the bigger schools. So there's many different opportunities there. Uh, it, you know, again, it all depends. If you find yourself a job where you're getting a bunch of hours, then terrific. It's all about how fast you can get there and, uh, you know, <laughs> how many hours you can get. Uh, but not only that, the hours, you know, I, I get what you're saying because I know so many situations where people have been doing banner tow or towing gliders or whatever, and they get hired with a regional, and then they don't make it through the training because they don't have the actual skills to fly instruments. If you do go that route where you're building tons of hours in a 152, make sure you're doing some instrument time, like some instrument instruction, that type of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there's other routes, but I think that was good advice, Tim. Uh, and I love the story you told about your friend because I, I get that a lot of times from some of the people I coach. Is like, here I am at a 135, and I'm only building 20 hours a month. Uh, how can I build more time? Can I do some flight instruction? That type of thing. So, I actually have an instructor who uh, went to a 135 operation, and after spending the better part of six months on the ground, he had to go back to flight instruction. So it was just a, a lot of wasted time there. Uh, I don't think he could have known that ahead of time, but uh, you know, you have to investigate as much as you can. Yeah, and, and as far as knowing about it ahead of time, this is a great way to do that is listen to people, listen to other people's stories. I'm not going to mention company names, but uh, when people tell me about certain companies where they've gotten offers, I, I tell them they really should look at the number of hours they're going to get in a year because it's going to take you two to three years longer to get to the regionals than if you just stuck with flight instructing. And I another thing I want to say about flight instructing, and I see this happen often, we have people that are so successful because they work their butts off. And, and these guys are getting like 100 hours in a month flight instructing. If you want to build hours flight instructing, you need to be at the airport and teach. I know that sounds really simple, but it's true. I mean, you can build a lot of hours, but you're not going to do it by sitting on the ground. I know, Tim, you really you, you built a lot of hours in a short amount of time, didn't you? I did. Uh, I think I got the hours I needed probably in about 15 months. Uh, but that my goal was exactly what you said, 100 hours a month of flight time. And you'd be really surprised how hard it is to get that. That's uh, uh, That was six days a week. And that was, uh, like you said, spending as much time at the airport as you can. Uh, it's not the best situation for uh, quality of life and family time. But, you know, my family was on board. We were all committed to it together. And so... Uh, you know, I did what I needed to do. I took Sundays off, and the rest of the time I was just uh, I was pounding the pavement trying to get students in the air so I could get that flight time. Uh, and a another thing, I, I know I keep saying this, but getting that CFII, um, that was huge because there were plenty of days when um, out of 10 flight instructors at my company, me and maybe one other one would be the only ones in the air because we had CFII. I'm so glad you said that because that, I see that uh, play out so often at the flight schools around the country, especially here. So uh, terrific advice, Tim. I really appreciate that. Uh, so any other advice you want, obviously we can do that directly through coaching. But, uh, yeah, again, best advice is find out what it's like and how many hours you're actually going to get. Moving on to the next one here, uh, we have t we're going to do two more questions. Uh, it says, um, I've been really enjoying listening to your shows as I inhale as much information as I can about the aviation industry and opportunities for mid-career transitions to flying. I thought I would share with you my own story as it has a number of common features and some unique. I'm 41 years old, currently with a good six-figure salary working for a major online retailer, but each day I realize... I'm working for the salary and not for the joy or accomplishment. 
This was not always so. I served in the British Army as an infantry officer from the ages of 21 to 39, including multiple combat tours of both Iraq and Afghanistan before retiring from active duty and moving to the U.S. with my wife and two small children. I love the military for its challenge, camaraderie, and travel. As a kid, I loved aviation history and planes, from reading about Spitfires and Hurricanes to the Battle of Britain to watching the unveiling of the B-2 stealth bomber bomber, and drooling over the SR-71 Blackbird in aviation magazines. Never thought I'd be able to pursue my dream, but now have the opportunity to gain my certificates and hopefully be a CFI come April of 2020. I know seniority is everything in the airlines, but I have some stock that vests up uh, April 2020 that will pay for most of my mortgage and fund flight training. So I feel I have to wait for then, but hope to complete my private and instrument through 2019, if not commercial also. I've applied for my initial TSA application as an alien for my private and hope to be a U.S. citizen within the next 12 months, currently on a green card. I don't have a bachelor's degree, but I do have three master's degree uh, awarded and an MBE from by the military by the excuse me the Queen for military service. It's a prestigious award, uh, a British national award, and congratulations on that. By the way, as a British Army veteran in the U.S., I am in a strange place. No GI Bill benefits, an infantry background, not U.S. Air Force or U.S. Army helicopter pilot. Will my British Army experience? and not being U.S. be viewed by the airlines. How will, I guess is what he's asking. I, it Actually, it doesn't matter where you're from. I mean, people, we have people from all walks of life all over the world. Uh, so in having the, the British Army experience will be viewed in a positive light. And by the way, thank you for your service. Uh, and I think that it shows discipline and the ability to follow through. I, I really, uh, really commend all those people that have served in the military no matter where they are. He continues, do you think I am wise to delay a career move to pay off as much mortgage as possible? It feels like absolutely the right thing to do to me. My ultimate aim is to join a strong regional at about 44 and float a major as rapidly as possible, say around 50. Does this sound likely? Uh, Lots of random background. Grateful for any response and happy for my out-of-the-mold scenario to be used on your show. Well, thanks so much. There's other people in your same predicament that have that very varied background, come from different countries, and fly here in the United States. Uh, yes, I think what you're talking about is is doable, getting to the regionals by 44 and also the majors by 50. Uh, one of the things that I think is kind of holding you back in your mind is the fact that you, you are from another country, et cetera. Don't let that hold you back at all. I mean, we're in, in the U.S., and we're talking U.S. right now, there are so many airlines that are hiring right now, and there's so many folks that are here at the at the regionals. Some are with green cards, but obviously, once you get to the majors, it's best to get a uh, to get your citizenship, which you're doing, uh, because that's a requirement. Uh, most flag carriers have that requirement. Uh, also, you mentioned something about the bachelor's degree. Uh, it is not uh, it. They say it's a requirement in many airlines, uh, but it doesn't necessarily put you out of the running. It is best to have one, and if you are thinking of, of doing something, yeah, you could do that online. I know you're going to wait, and you talked about your situation financially. We don't know everything, but the most important thing I tell everybody is do what's best for you and your family. And uh, you, the worst thing you can do is put yourself into so much debt and put yourself to a point where you can't pay your bills because that's that's really worse than anything else. And I think it's, it's a good idea that you're doing this financial planning. I know Tim, 
he actually, I mean, had a plan, moved forward with that plan, and was able to implement it and did it in a manner that, yeah, was it scary? I'm sure it was, but he did it. Right, Tim? Well, absolutely. And it was scary. And, uh, but, you know, I, I'm a little bit older than this gentleman. And, you know, I, I needed to make sure I didn't waste any time. And so there was no question for me how quickly I needed to, to get moving on this. Um, and so, you know, at age, I think you said 41, um, not quite in as much of a hurry. However, I do think back to, I think, one of your prior episodes where you talk about uh, how much money you're going to make in the last two years or so of your career. And I would take that money, uh, however much that is estimated to be, and compare it with uh, how much you would lose by kind of delaying paying off the mortgage or, you know, if you can do something a little bit quicker, but it costs you a little bit now and it makes you more later, maybe in the long run, that would be a better situation. But, but like you said, it all depends on your your exact situation, your numbers, and, and what you can calculate. Um but uh, and, and you know, I, I was also thinking as you were reading that question about moving on to a major airline. Uh, I personally, and this is just my opinion, I don't really have lots of data to back it up, but I, I think that this pilot shortage is continuing to make its way closer and closer to the major airlines. And I think by the time he gets to that point, uh, and I'm hoping, uh, hoping this for myself as well, that. Uh, you know the majors are going to start feeling that uh, that shortage a little bit more. They're going to start easing off some of the restrictions, like for the bachelor's degree, perhaps. Uh, but more than anything, I'm 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 hoping that getting to a major airline is not going to take as much time in a few years as it does now. And I think uh, that is a great advice, Tim. And one of the things that you have to realize is that the shortage has hit the majors in a different respect. It has to do with their hiring standards. Uh, you know, they're not having the qualified pilots that they want uh, in some majors. And it, it comes and it goes, by the way. It's happened in the past where the majors were looking for people and they had to kind of reduce their, their standards quite a bit. You'll see uh, many of the folks that you know I fly with that were hired during a certain period of time didn't have a degree because really what they wanted is flight experience, period. Then as things turned around and uh, they were actually get a lot more applicants, then they started bringing those those requirements back up again. But no, they, they, I would not let that hold you back as far as that degree is concerned. But yes, uh, getting to a major is uh, where you kind of want to be. And I think, uh, Tim, what you were referring to is I did an episode, you know, don't make a $2 million mistake in your career. If you look at the last 10 years of your career, uh, you know, a captain, a narrow body captain at a major, which is probably where you'll be, is going to make 200000 you know, in a year. If you look at that 200 times 10 years, that's $2 million of income. And I know that a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, you can make a lot more than that as a captain, but um, but what if you're a senior FO, that kind of thing, you're going to make that kind of money. So uh, I want to be conservative in my numbers. I know there's a lot of guys listening that are major airline pilots making more than that. Uh, But just think about that. Like you said, it may be worth it. It may not be worth it to hold off. It's something you have to do the, the actual math on. So some good advice there, Tim. Um, anyway, Tim, we have time for one more question, right? Sure. I've got all day. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, let's, let's do one more. And, uh, I think this is a really cool one because, uh, this has to do with some of these new programs that are coming out. Anyway, let me start reading and I'll, I have a a couple comments on it because you're seeing these pop up all over. Uh, he's, um, says, have you heard 
of Republic Airlines' new flight school, Lyft Academy, in Indianapolis. Yes, I have. Um, but he continues. I went through their application process, interview, pilot aptitude testing, and got an offer to start training in early 2019. Their classes are filled for the rest of 2018. The cost of the program is 65000 from zero to hero with all the costs included, and you have a CFI and a Republic FO position waiting for you once you reach the required hours. The program is valued at 85000 but 20000 is subsidized in return for a five-year commitment to Republic. You're on the hook for the subsidized 20000 and the amount you've trained if you leave the school by your own choice. If you train with Lyft from the private pilot to CFI, instruct, and complete the five-year commitment to Republic, you're no longer responsible for the subsidized 20000 They also mention a 15000 tuition reimbursement from Republic with payments beginning when you start instructing. There's no word of this in the contract, so I'm most likely not a guarantee. And then they have financing offered at a variable rate. It's about 7.5% plus three-month LIBOR rate in uh, a $2,000 loan fee. The program's advertised as a 12-month training and 18-month instructing, and then on to Republic. I'm 22, and I graduated with a bachelor's degree in finance this past summer. I live in New York, and the vast majority of the flight time schools around, excuse me, full-time flight schools around here are quoting $80,000 for training, which seems to be the standard. There aren't many mom-and-pop schools, and they only seem to be available weekends, not full-time. I plan to fully finance the tuition, so financing $65,000 would be a much cheaper than the long run than $80,000, and the cost of living in Indianapolis is about 46% lower than New York City. I love how you have that exact number. Overall, I like what they're offering, but I'm not sure about the five-year Republic commitment and having an extra $20,000 floating above me for eight years. What is your opinion about this program? How good or bad of a deal is this? Thanks for your time, Carl, and I understand if you're unable to get this, uh, you're unable to get the email. I got to this email, and I'm I'm so thankful we did. I love this. Uh, there are programs like this popping up all over the place. I remember when some of the majors started doing this. They were saying, "Oh my gosh, you know this is, uh, you know, ridiculous." Blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, all the other majors started coming out with it. There were some people that were way in front of this. Most of the numbers are much bigger than this. Uh, they're talking some programs in the $120,000, $150,000 range. Uh, in one thing that Republic has done that's smart with this program for themselves is they've required you to, to stay on. Some other programs where you wind up paying for it uh, yourself through the whole program are more expensive, but there's no requirement to stay. So that's kind of like what you're saying here is, is paying it for it on your own. Is it worth it? You're looking at a commitment of up to five years. Uh, and that's it's a long time, yes, um, but uh, that's kind of what people are looking at getting into the majors, but there's also people that are making that in three years into the majors. You have to look at that. You have to think about that is that, hey, you know, I could actually maybe make it to the majors. I mean, you've heard it on this podcast. People come on that have made it to the majors from, from point A to point B in less than three years. Uh, without a commitment at all. They can go to any major they wanted, had multiple offers from different majors. Uh, so it, it is something to, to think about. Um, and just think about this too. With any airline, these programs can change 
for instance, I, I know Republic's doing well. It's a great place to work, et cetera. But the worm always turns. And yes, you may have that commitment and possibly have to you know, pay back that amount. So something to think about in the future. Just be ready for that because things can change. And I think that's really, really important. But a good program. I will give it that. It's new. So everything's good in the beginning. So uh, you know, I think they're working things out. But it looks like a terrific uh, organization, a terrific, terrific program. Tim, did you want to comment on this one? Uh, sure, just a couple of things. Um, I, I think uh, any program like this is definitely worth looking into, and uh, you know, I think Republic has a great reputation as a company, and I know that they're uh, they seem to be very proactive about making sure that they uh, you know get things taken care of for themselves, uh, and given an opportunity like this is one of those ways that they that they attract people, and so uh, the five year commitment, yeah, it's 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 absolutely possible to. Uh, to get to a major airline sooner than that, and as time goes on, that might even become more possible. I'm not sure, but at, you know, currently at this point right now, I would say if you were to become an uh, an FO at Republic, I think five years is a, a a pretty good estimate for how long it would take you at a minimum to get to a major. Uh, it's taken about maybe two to two and a half years to upgrade to captain, and uh, and then from there it's just you know what's the hiring situation at the major airline that you're trying to get to, um, and so. Um, you know, and then the, the $20,000, you know, maybe you could consider the fact that I believe Republic's uh, uh, signing bonus right now is almost $20,000. I think it's seventeen five at this point. So uh, a lot of things to consider if Republic is the one that you're going to go for. Um, and, you know, and then once you once you do get that job at Republic, if you uh, are interested in, in maintaining your roots in New York, uh, that's a great base to go to for Republic, I think, and um, if, especially if you live there. So again, it's it's a choice of living situation. It's a choice of money. And uh, yeah, I think these programs in general, you're going to see more of them popping up. And uh, usually they're going to require something. Uh, I know there's ones out there that don't have any requirements as far as you're staying on, but they're going to cost a lot more than this. This is not a bad deal. Uh, but you have to actually fit it in your lifestyle and, and your program. And obviously that's something you know we can do and talk uh, offline about. Uh, but some great stuff, great programs that are coming out. I'm so excited for that. But uh, anyway, I think that's all we have time for. It's uh, We're already at the 45-minute mark. And, Tim, this has been awesome that you were able to stop by the podcast today. Well, thanks for the invite, Carl. I'm always uh, very happy to do it and uh, excited to be a part of it. Well, hopefully you'll come back and give us an update. I hope you don't mind on uh, on your position and what's happening with training and maybe some advice on uh, on training at the regional airlines. Absolutely. Always happy to help any way I can, Carl. <laughs> awesome, Tim. And uh, for those that are listening right now, if you notice here in this podcast, there's and all this different uh, questions here. The biggest thing that most people did and, and were able to make their careers possibilities is they took some action. They take took action. And I'm I'm one of these people that really believes in taking action, no matter what it is. You know, take that action. Take a look at what happens after you take that action. But keep reevaluating, keep moving. The worst thing you can do is just sit there and do nothing. So I want you to do something. I want you to, to right now do me a favor and do something today, right after you turn off this podcast or later on tonight. Make a note in your phone. Do something now to move forward in your career. It might just be asking a question. It might be emailing us, emailing Tim, whomever. Whatever it is you do, try to do something today. Take a little step forward in your career. And I know that you will make it to where you want to go. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying.
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.